We're going to continue on in our Wednesday night chapel series, The Kingdom is Like, and we have a special guest speaker, one of our very, very own. This this semester, uh, you know, we have only so many grad chapels, and so Kim and I are always trying to figure out creative ways in which that we can get more of our graduates to speak, and we love our grads, and we, Alex, we love you, and we believe in you. We look forward to hearing what you have to say. You got your number one fan right here, front and center, so come on up. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Let me just get settled. Whoa, that sounds awesome. That's kind of cool. I wasn't expecting it to be as echoey as it is. Uh, Before I begin, I just want to say, um, today, as people have like, I didn't really tell people that I was going to be speaking. Um, I like to keep it on the DL, okay? Uh, but people, as they've slowly found out through Reader's Digest and just different times, they've been really uh, encouraging to me. And I'm just really thankful that you would be a community that would walk in encouragement. I feel very edified um, and supported by you guys. So thank you for that. Uh, if you don't know, I think everybody is students here. My name is Alex Ford. I'm a fourth year student here at Summit. Um, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to get to speak tonight. Kim and Gav, I'm very honored that you guys would extend that invitation. And I'm very excited for what I have prepared tonight. Uh, before I jump into what's on my heart, My experience going through different sermons has prepped me for tonight. I know regardless of what I say, there's going to be people that might leave and wonder, what does his family look like? And so, don't worry, we're going to get that part out of the way. This is my family. Yes, yes. Uh, I love them very much. Uh, These are the people that raised me. Uh, Very thankful, and I do miss them. Um, So this is my family, and this is my family-to-be. Two weeks ago, yeah, I got, two weeks ago, I got engaged to the incredible Rebecca Flamin. Um, Very, very excited to spend my life with you. Uh, So, that's out of the way, okay? Now you can relax. That's my family. You're good, okay? So now let's get into what I have prepared. Tonight, I get to continue the series, The Kingdom is Like. And today, I get to talk about the Good Samaritan. Yep, it's a parable that probably many of us know. It's a parable that has principles and concepts that are relatively easy to understand. It's a parable that has a a title and a phrase that is relatively known to the world. You don't have to be a churchgoer or someone who stepped into a church building to know the term Good Samaritan. You need only turn on your news channel when they want to highlight an unlikely hero. But this story is so much more than that. It's a story that would have radically challenged anyone who was in attendance at the time that Jesus was sharing it. It's a story that should deeply impact the way that we experience our faith and walk it out. And it's a story that reveals much 
of what the kingdom of God is like and how we as people who have been invited into it are meant to live our lives. For me personally, it's a story that challenges me to ask, am I going to ask the hard questions? And as I've been preparing and as I'm studying this parable, I can't seem to escape this phrase, am I going to ask the hard questions? See, it's, it's questions that prepare people for response. When you ask a question, the answer that is given is either met with acceptance or denial. It's questions that open up the door for truth to enter. And it is questions that paved the way for many of Jesus' most profound teachings and truths. Am I going to ask the hard questions? Many people did in the Bible. There's Pharisees and individuals who dared to ask Jesus questions, ready to test him. And these people had pride and stubbornness in their heart, but they were still able to extract some incredible answers and truths from Jesus. These people with crooked hearts, when Jesus gave answers, decided to respond with rejection and denial of what he had to say. And yet they were still able to get these incredible answers out of Jesus. And I can't help but wonder if these people who were crooked and prideful and stubborn were still able to extract these incredible truths, then how much greater would it be if a room full of people who deemed themselves followers of Jesus were willing to ask the same questions? How much greater would it be if a room of people asked the tough questions of Jesus and instead of responding with denial and rejection, responded with a willingness and readiness to live it out? I don't know about you, but I'm convinced that if we were willing to ask the tough questions of our faith and have our lives actually be altered by what Jesus says, then our world would look incredibly different. I think if we go through that process, that people would experience the love of God more evidently through our lives. I think people would begin to see the church as a place where restoration can happen and not rejection. I think lost people become found, and I think a hurting world experiences healing. Am I going to ask the hard questions? As the person who has the microphone tonight, I'm going to present you with the same question. Are you going to ask the hard questions of Jesus, and are you willing to respond with your life being more in alignment with his? Tonight, we're going to ask the hard questions of this parable. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say for us. And so with questions as the theme of tonight, fittingly so, our story opens with a question. Jumping into Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. I'm going to be reading from the NLT version. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then the spy Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Lord, I just pray that tonight I would step out of the way of what you're trying to do. I pray that I would humbly present what I've prepared, but Lord, that more than that, your authority would just fall across this room. I pray that truths would rest on hearts that are ready to receive what it is that you have to offer. I pray that our hearts would be renewed to, to this story that we may have heard many times. Would you fall afresh the teachings and profound things that you have to say through this parable? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Like any good sermon, it's important to do your research and get the context of what's actually happening. And so I made sure to do that. And to start, I went to Mr. Context himself, Mark Hawks, the man of hermeneutics. And when I asked him, I was like, Mark, I'm doing this sermon on the Good Samaritan. Do you know anything about it? Is there anything that you can tell me, any insights that I'm missing? And he looked at me and he said, well, I know that he's a Samaritan <laughs> and I know that he's And then he walked away. I was like, okay, thanks, Mark. That's, that's great. I'll definitely add that in somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but I did more than that, don't worry. Uh, so there is some context that's very important to this story. And the first thing that we need to understand is that Jews and Samarians hated each other. There was incredible tension between them. They despised each other. Okay, like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry, these people had some bad blood. Okay, like they didn't like each other. And if we look at their history, we understand why. Back when Israel divided into two kingdoms, Israel became the northern kingdom, and they made their capital city Samaria. 
And then the southern kingdom, Judah, made their capital city, Jerusalem. And ever since then, these people have hated each other. They disagreed on basically everything. They disagreed on where God should be worshipped. They disagreed on the way God should be worshipped. They disagreed on politics. They disagreed on how life should be lived. They hated each other. And so why would Jesus, when trying to teach this man to be a good neighbor, choose in his story to make the main characters a Samaritan and a Jew? Well, he's not just trying to show that compassion should be extended to your enemies. He's actually making a direct reference to a previous story in the Bible. This isn't the first time that we see Samaritans treating Jewish people in this way. If we look back at 2 Chronicles 28, we see a very similar story. And so to paraphrase, in this book, in this story, uh, the Samaritans and Jewish people are at war. Jewish, the Jewish people angered God, and so because he was angry with them, he allowed them to be taken over by the Samaritan army. And in that, the, the Samaritans are taking prisoners and defeat this army and taking them back to Samaria. But they're treating them really poorly. And in doing so, also anger God. And so now, God's wrath is on the Samaritans too. And so God sends a prophet named Obed, and he goes to the Samaritans and says to them, you need to change the way you're treating these prisoners. God's wrath is upon you, and if you, unless you want to deal with the consequences of that, you should change the way that you treat them. And so, they do so. And so instead of treating these prisoners horribly, they decide to treat them with hospitality. And the similarities between this story and the parable of the Good Samaritan are very, very close. So this was what the text says. They provided clothing and sandals to wear, gave them enough food and drink, and dressed their wounds with olive oil. They put those who were weak on donkeys and took all the prisoners back to their own people in Jericho. The city of Palms, then they return to Samaria. And so why? Why is Jesus making reference to this story? What Jesus is actually trying to do is show that the action in these two stories are the same, but the motivation behind them is different. In this old story, these people were motivated by self-preservation. They didn't want to deal with the consequences of God's anger being upon them. And so they thought, okay, if we treat these people right, then God's anger will be lifted off of us. They were concerned with their own safety, with their own well-being. And Jesus is trying to make reference to this and say that he is bringing in something new, something greater. He is making a shift from the old to the new. He is saying that in this new kingdom, I have something better for you. In the new kingdom, your hospitality should not be a method of which you avoid punishment. Instead, it should be the means in which you seek to see other people prosper. In the new kingdom, your compassion should not only be given when it's safe for you. Instead, would it flow from your life as you consider how you can save others? In the new kingdom, having mercy on someone 
should not be determined by what's in it for you. Instead, would you be compelled to do so as a result of the good work that the Holy Spirit has done inside of you? Jesus is doing something new, something greater, and he is asking you to take part in the new kingdom that he's establishing. So as Jesus presents this new kingdom, the way that we respond to what he's inviting us into is important. And I think our response becomes more clear when we ask the right questions of this parable. And I think the first question that we need to ask is, who am I in this story? See, uh, when we read this story, it's, it's easy to associate with the wrong character. We often read it and think, okay, I'm supposed to be the good Samaritan. I'm supposed to be the person that goes and shows mercy. I'm supposed to be him. But the reality is, is that we are not the good Samaritan. In the grand scheme of things, it's not you, it's not me, no one in this room holds the title the Good Samaritan. It's actually Jesus. He is the one who ultimately is the Good Samaritan. We, along with the rest of the world, were the people broken and hurting, half dead, because we were alive physically, but dead spiritually, and we needed someone to put compassion into action in order to save our lives. We are not the Good Samaritan. But thank God that he chose to have compassion and mercy on us. In the same way that the good Samaritan and the Jewish person that he helped were deemed enemies, so were we with God. Romans 5.10 says that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. There was tension between who we are as sinners and who Jesus is as a holy and perfect God. We were his enemies, and still he chose to have mercy on us. Jesus is the good Samaritan. We are told to go and mimic him and do the same as him. But we would be wise not to forget that ultimately he holds that position and we don't. And the next question that we we need to ask. I think there's some specific things as, as people in this room who, who want to be Christian leaders, who, who want to lead people closer to God, there's some specific questions and things that we need to consider as we approach the kingdom and want to invite others towards the kingdom. See, this man that starts off this story comes to Jesus and asks, what can I do to inherit He's interested in how he can secure his spot in the kingdom. How he can ensure that he receives the promise. He's asking, what can I gain? How can I gain? How do I receive? But what Jesus is trying to challenge us with is to not ask, how can I gain? But instead, how can I give? Jesus is trying to orient us to a greater revelation, a different motivation for the actions of compassion that we extend to others. What can I give? And when asking this question of Jesus, we need to do so boldly because the reality is that we ask Jesus, what can I give? It will require of us. 
The man in this story gave his time, he gave his money, the man gave his donkey, he gave much of his resources. And in the same way, if we ask, what can I give? Jesus is going to point out the resources that you have in your life that he wants to use to bring others into the kingdom. He is not just interested in you receiving the promise. He wants to know what he can do through your life so that the rest of this world can receive of the promise. It's not just about us and what we can gain. It's about what we can give to others. We need to consider our question. And the second thing that I think we need to do is consider our approach. The story consists of two characters who would have been religiously esteemed. The first is the person who opens up the story, the scholar, the expert in the law. And the second is the priest in the parable that Jesus gives. And both of these characters actually represent some approaches that I think we can fall into when approaching God, when approaching his kingdom. And see, the first person, the scholar, is the person that's actually challenged to do more with his life. And the priest is not the person in the parable that's commended for his actions. And yet we so often fall into these approaches when it comes to our relationship with God. See, the scholarly approach looks like when, when we think that chasing after God just means studying his word, filling our time, memorizing scripture, knowing as much as we can about the Bible, spending four years as college students with our time invested in knowing more about the book of God, the Bible. And see, this, this is the scholarly approach when we think our academics and our achievements mean that we're actually getting closer to God. And the second approach, the priestly approach, is when we approach the kingdom of God thinking that our titles are what validate us to be in his kingdom. We think that if we receive a greater position or hold a better job, that we are actually closer to what God is asking us to be. And yet, these are not the characters that Jesus wants to highlight. Instead, Jesus is, Jesus is asking us to take a different approach to his kingdom. Reference at the beginning of the story, he, he asks the man, how do you read the scriptures and how do you think you inherit eternal life? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength and with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. What this means is that Jesus is asking us to approach the kingdom with total devotion of what we have to offer. Would our lives be a place where we give everything to God so that he can use it? Total devotion what he's asking of us. Everything you have. And see, this, this approach is challenging, but this approach ultimately leads to people being saved. It's within this approach where the truth that we study, 
actually impacts the way that we engage with people. It's in this approach where the jobs that we hold are actually supported by integral actions. It's in this approach where Jesus is given the room to operate and influence every detail of our life. Total devotion is what he's asking of us. And though difficult, it is the approach that leads to life. And then the third thing is it's perhaps the one that's most explicitly revealed through this scripture. It's how Jesus closes off this story. He asks us to go and do the same. He set the model for radical hospitality. He's shown you what it means to give of yourself and be compassionate to your enemy. He's shown what it means to actually live out the kingdom and now he's asking you to go and do the same. So the final challenging question that we have to ask of this parable is will I? Will I actually do what's commanded of me? Will I actually live in the same way that Jesus did? Go and do the same. I'm going to invite the band back up. See this, the fact that Jesus ends his story with this is so, so radical because it forces us to make a decision. You either will or won't. Jesus at the beginning of this story says to the man, yes, love your the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then tells him to love his neighbor, and then says, do this and you will live, suggesting that the man at the beginning of this story was actually missing out on life. Do this and you will live. There's no other road to life. There's no other road to his kingdom. Doing the same as he did, replicating what he modeled. That's how we receive the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a Samaritan who would dare to help a Jewish man even though it cost him. The kingdom is like a person who would extend mercy to someone dubbed his enemy. The kingdom is like a traveler with an agenda who would give up the convenience of his own plan in order to help a hurting person. Will you go and do the same? We're going to be playing this song called Here Again. And I just want us to respond by inviting Jesus into the depths of who we are. See, total devotion is, is something that, that, yes, sounds attractive, yes, leads to life, but can seem very daunting at times. You want every part of me? 
You want every aspect, even if I give you 90%, you want that last 10? Every piece of my life. Really, Jesus? He is asking you to give everything. And though it seems like we are actually giving up much, what we gain is tenfold anything that we have to give. So as we respond and as we sing these songs, I just want us to invite Jesus into every aspect of our lives. If there's something that you feel like God's been asking you to give for a long time, would you just invite him into that again? If there's a piece of your life or a part of the way that you're living, would you invite him to bring into a place of surrender? If you've been spending your time studying God's word but missing out on actually living that, would you invite the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place where truth becomes action? We're just gonna spend time singing this song and just reminding ourselves that that total devotion is not just some gimmick that Jesus is placing in front of us, something that we can't actually reach, but it's something that's obtainable for all of us in this room. Total devotion. So as they play, would you consider the areas of your life that might not be totally devoted to Jesus? you allow him to to deposit mercy and compassion and love back into who he 